I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Pundit is the football trivia game. Every sale using the code LIONS at checkout now gives a whopping 40% discount plus a £10 donation to the Lions Food Hub. Visit PunditGames.co.uk to order your copy. Punditgames.co.uk Code Lions You're listening to Achtung Law Broadcasting from the beautiful South Berlin Except no sandwich Hello dear listeners, welcome to another Friday morning show Something for the weekend, sir Joining me on our regular weekly look at the news and events of the Mill Week is my regular co-host, it's Mr Neil Fissler. Welcome to the show, Neil. Hello, Nick. Hello. Hello, everybody. Uh, no, not a bad week, really, is it? Well, we've had worse weeks down at Millwall, haven't we? I, I would go as far to say, I mean, there's, there's, there's still 14 games to go, Neil, so we've got to put that um, caveat into our conversation. 14 games to go, dear listeners. Still plenty of time for things to, the wheels to come off the tracks. But, but, I think this week was a bit of a momentous week in our season because we really sent a bit of a message to the division, to other teams around us, that we are serious contenders. That's not to say how it's all going to finish and pan out. But, I mean, to take four points from the two best sides in, in the division, and Burnley, I think, the best team by some distance in the, in the division, leave aside the the play acting and all the rest of that. We'll talk about that. Um, but I think to take four points from those two fixtures has sent a bit of a message around the league, mate, don't you think? We're serious, you know. Yeah. Any chance that we were going to fly under the radar has now gone. Uh, yeah. We are serious playoff contenders. I still, there's still, still got a nagging bit of reality in the back of my mind that we could fall short. But that's just yep. based on middle uh, <laughs> <Mural> history. <laughs> the, the absolute horrendous injury list that we that we seem to be picking up, and I know we're going to come on to that. And yep. the fact that 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 this is Millwall, really, isn't it? So yes, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's Millwall. Oh dear, yeah. yeah. I'm not part of this. This online community that feel that we've got some God-given right to finish in the playoffs. Uh, we've got to work for this. We've put ourselves in a brilliant 
position and now we've got to go and finish off the job. You're right. I mean, some, tomorrow's fixture at Stoke is no, no easy task going to Stoke, is it? Not ever. And they're not doing terribly well this season. They sit in 17th position on 40 points. The Lions, um, fifth. But part of a pack, I mean, we're part of a pack. You're, you're dead right. I mean, there's there's a lot of work still to be done. That's that's part of the part of the challenge for the season. Um, I was interested to look at some comments by by Gary Rowett on what I think it's London News Online. He's talking about um, the, the playoff target. Says anything between seventy two and seventy four points means you'd usually be very unfortunate not to get in the top six. So, I th- and I think he's right. So you need you're talking about another eight maybe nine wins from uh, from the season to put us in the kind of area we'd expect to be a playoff uh, participant at the end of the season. Now, it's although I think Richard Corley says uh, that we've got an easier running than, than some of our contenders on, on, on these final 14 fixtures, you're right. There's the squad... Um, I mean, at times against Burnley, I thought we were on a little bit of a wing and a prayer there, Neil. Um, we, we rode our luck uh, as much as the spirit that got us back into that game. I think squad size might be our Achilles heel, if anything is going to be an Achilles heel this season. We've done fantastically well, considering that uh, I think we're all critical of not signing a striker yeah. come the end of the transfer. No. Uh, Tom Bradshaw <laughs> made a bit of a it made a bit of a mockery of that idea, really, isn't he? And just, yeah, but that uh, notion, yeah, yeah. Um, he's been fire. The team's been on fire in the last couple of games. It's just so frustrating that there are games like Coventry a couple of weeks ago where we were so poor. Yes, and we let. Um, will we let a chance slip through our fingers? But hey, oh, yeah, as you say, we're in fifth place. Fifth place, I think, isn't it? And uh, yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, it's up to us now. Yeah, if we get the yeah, if we continue on the same form we've been doing, we're going to finish in the playoffs, and then it's anybody's guess what happens from there. Isn't yeah, it? playoffs are a lottery, aren't they? I mean, there's, there's three points. Listeners cover Blackburn in in fourth position including us, Luton, Watford, Sunderland, Norwich on 49. Um, there's a bit of a, a, well, a game in hand for West Brom on 45. Then. But so let's, let's say there's about, what, there's, there's about six or seven clubs that might be thinking realistically of, of, of that same playoff um, spot that we're looking for. Um, I mean, to be contenders is, is a huge achievement. We, we've said it a few times on this show, Neil, um, the, the achievement presuming that's where we do finish or we, we get very, very close to it. I think it's a massive achievement by Gary Rowett and the club because when you look at these other names, Middlesbrough, Blackburn, Watford, Sunderland, Norwich, West Brom, all in their different um, ways, commanding much bigger resources than we can bring to bear. Only Luton can really you know, put themselves on a par with us uh, resource-wise. So I think, you know, it's, it's been a huge season and some very, very, very big fixtures yet to come. But we've got to go to Stoke tomorrow. So let's let's not count chickens before we, you know, before we, <laughs> before they hatch. Um, Horrible play. Absolutely awful. February. I've- yeah, do you know what? I was trying to think. I can't remember going to Stoke. Not this version of it. I went to the old ground, Victoria ground. That was donkey's years ago, of course. Um, I, I don't think I've ever... For some reason, I've always 
it's, I've never been there. It's one of those grounds where I, I sometimes had the idea I'll go to that fiction. It never worked out for one reason or another. So, I, um, and tomorrow I'm, I'm not going to be able to go either. So, um, it's, it's a apparently it's, a, it's it's high on a hill, isn't it? I've never been to it, so I, I'm, I'm speaking from what I've read. I'm set on a on a high high piece of ground with a wind whipping around it. Yeah, I covered a game there actually. I've covered Millwall there. Uh, I think I think Have you? The, I think when I was on the Daily Star Sunday. Millwall went up there under the ho- in the halcyon days of Tony Burns and David Tuttle. And, <laughs> <laughs> you picked a season there. Uh, wow. you know, they picked a season, I think, to send me. I think, yeah, I think they were trying to punish me for something or other. Uh, I, <laughs> um, I remember just the wind has howling around and wasn't mm. a particularly pleasant place to go. I see no reason why tomorrow would be particularly pleasant unless we come away with three points. It's one of those, yeah, the Victoria ground was a proper old football ground. Yeah, this is one of your modern, um, all, all kind of all-encompassing, all-seated, all um, nondescript stadiums, isn't it? Three, the 365 stadium. It's an industrial estate from what I can remember or in the middle of nowhere. Right. I think you passed it into Stoke on the train, but there's nothing particularly appealing about Stoke apart from the railway platform back to London. (laughs) I like that. I like that. We go from one extreme from Stoke to Luton again, another big game. They're coming thick and fast, listeners, at the moment. Luton away on Tuesday. That's on television, I think. Um, I believe we've sold out of our away you know, following on, on Tuesday. I think you can still, by the time you get to hear this, you won't be able to get tickets for Stoke, but I think there's still a few available for for the trip up uh, up to the Midlands. Is it the Midlands? It's kind of Northern Midland. Potter is, isn't it? Um, so, yeah, two two big fixtures, six big points at stake. Um, just looking at this this uh, story on London News, talking about Tom Bradshaw, and we've already said he's on fire. Um, uh, Richard Corley describes him as a perfect team player. Also talking about being in Welsh international contention. Um, if he carries on scoring goals like he is at the moment, Neil, I mean, there's no reason why he shouldn't be on on the um, the radar of the Welsh national side. Um, I, I, I like Tom Bradshaw. He's getting the service. We've said this before. We're going to say it again, listeners. He's getting the service at last that gives him a fighting chance of putting the ball in the net, whereas Previously, I think we were just using slightly incorrectly as a target man. That's not re- not really his role, but he's he certainly looked a player transformed these past few games. And when he came on on Tuesday, of course, he got the the vital equaliser, which um, turned around what would have been a difficult evening otherwise. I, I, I really like him. He's, he's he's certainly in form at the moment, isn't he? I think it was a very smart move by Gary Rowett to uh, leave him on the bench. I know he's. I give him another saying something about he's he picked up a hamstring strain, didn't he? Yeah. And the, uh, certainly the Burnley people was couldn't understand. Well, your Burnley fans, if you look at their yeah. forum, somebody posted uh, a link on Hoffing. You have a quick read of it, don't you? Yeah. And. Uh, they couldn't understand why Bradshaw started on the bench, uh, but we can't afford to lose him. No, we, we cannot afford to bring no go ping. Come on, he got now. Is he our leading scorer? What's he got? 11, He's 11 12 is it, goals? I was just looking at the, at the chart. Uh, Tom Bradshaw, number one goal scorer, 11 goals. 
uh, Zian Fleming number two on ten, and then we're down to Charlie Cresswell on on four goals. Um, no, I, I think you're right. I mean, um, I, I that we've said it before. We'll say it again, listeners. I keep saying that. Was, uh, Vogel Summer is a is is a great player in his in his way. I don't think he quite worked as the lone striker the other night. I think he's probably a player that likes a a, a partner up front, which he's not going to get in this formation. But when he did go more as a I don't know about a winger, but more on the kind of uh, on on the edge of of the midfield. He's a great crosser of the ball, and I think that's it's horses for courses at the moment. That's that's where he's going to be best employed. So we do have to put Tom Bradshaw as our really uh, lone striker in in um, you know in cotton ball at the end of each game, don't we? He's got to be nursed through these these fixtures because we we're a little bit done for without him. Yeah, I'm just having a look now at his career stats, and uh, I think his best returns about twenty for Walsall. This is undoubtedly his best return for yeah. Millwall. Yeah. He got nine last season, so we cannot underestimate what what we need from him in Yevlin. He's got to take it easy last. with him. He's got to be preserved, um, and it may be some difficult substitution for some online to accept because he's got to be nursed. I mean, Burnley was a good example. Um, I think to some extent, I don't think Gary Rowett had written it off as the proverbial free hit that we kept reading about online, but I do think he. He had a plan to get through a game that's always going to be a difficult one for us by keeping Bradshaw on the bench. It, it enabled him to at least get some measure of recovery on an injury on his leg because he's almost certainly going to have to start um, Stoke and, and we'll see about Luton when, when we go up there. Um, so he's going to get some some physical punishment over the, over the next few games. So we do need to be very careful. with um, Burnley... Neil, we, 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 I touched on this the other day when we did the post-Burnley show. I mean, a very, very attractive side to watch. But the, the I, I thought they also displayed what I call the very worst of modern football, the play-acting once the mill started to claw their way back into the game. That was a very unattractive side of modern football. And if we ever do get into the Premier League, it's, it's a side of the game that we're going to have to probably get used to seeing. But I find it very... Um, I don't like it at all. I mean, they embarrassed themselves, I thought, on Tuesday. That's Scott Twine. He, uh, I'm not going to choose my words per, uh, carefully. <laughs> he tried to fucking cheat. Yeah. Let's be honest, he was an embarrassment for himself, his family, his profession, his ancestors, <laughs> and anybody else. No, 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 you're right. You're right. It was cheating. You know, it's... and it. In plain view. To roll around four times or whatever he did, okay, it was a very strong tackle, and he landed. But mm. then to roll around almost as if to try and get Danny Mac sent off. Yeah, Brooke Tor or whatever was going to come it, his it, way, it, yeah. No, I agree. Really, really, really embarrassing. And there was another situation where a player fell off the mm. pitch and then Ashley Barnes lifted him up and dropped him back on the pitch. To my mind, Barnes should have been cautioned. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, for for unsportsmanlike conduct. Yeah, they book you for taking your shirt off. But what he did was he put an injured player back on the pitch to try and gain some sportsmanship advantage. That's shithousery of of yeah, the highest order and it's something that rugby fans call football Wendy ball mm. 
hate the expression. Yeah. But you can see why. When you get twine, the subject of a strong tackle, you've had a bit of treatment on some non-injury, and then 10 seconds later, he was up running around as if nothing had happened. And yeah, but the way that he went down, you'd have thought he'd suffered a career-ending injury, wouldn't you? Absolutely. It was just absolutely embarrassing. And, from, and if that's what the Premier League's going to be, uh, they can fuck off. I don't want it because it will cause disorder. Well, I was thinking about it afterwards. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I second everything you just said um, because at, at Millwall we're many, many things and we've been lambasted over the years for, for things that have, may or may not have happened. But um, one thing I believe, and I might be over-romanticising us listeners, you tell me, but um, I, I believe we're an honest club in the sense of how we want our football to be played. I would hate, I would seriously hate to watch a Millwall player conducting himself in that way, even if we were winning, even whatever the situation, I would not want to see that because it wouldn't, it would, like it'd be like the speech at the start of the Brian Clough film. You've cheated your way through it, and I, that's not what I would want for a club that I value, Millwall Football Club. And what what struck me as well is that I was thinking about the the tactics and the the kind of that 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 method of of uh, I won't say play the game, but that method of cheating. Let's call it what it is. You're you're right, Neil. That comes from the top. That comes from Vincent Company. He sets the tone for that football club. They played some beautiful football, football that probably we may not be able to achieve. But that cheating also comes from, the, you know, if we're going to laud him for being um, an ex-Manchester City um, participant in the European game and all the things that we're supposed to admire so much in, in, in the modern world, then you've also got to pin that on him as well because he could he could end that at, with one command. He's the manager. You either you know players that do that don't get picked for my team. That would be like you almost hear someone like Brian Clough saying that, can't you? Um, that comes from Vincent Company, who is you know he's one of the Sky um, TV great figures of the game, and that's that. <laughs> There's something deeply um, immoral about that because if you're going to, if your team is prepared to cheat in that way, then you don't deserve those accolades. I think you have to see these people for what they are. Yeah, they they may win the match, they may win the league, or probably will, looking at the uh, the league table. But it's not not a way of winning that I would want personally. I don't believe we would want it as a club. Do you? Yeah. Am I over romanticising? Do you think? No. I, yeah. No, I don't think you are. Uh, they deserve to win the league. They are the best team in the league. Let's be quite frank about On it. Football terms, yeah. But but there seems to be something about cheating being ingrained because Manchester City of yeah, what is it, hundred and fifty charges of financial cheating? Yeah. yeah. So, so is there something ingrained there? Uh, it's just a, it's just, it's just a sad thing that you don't want to, you you don't want to see it because the next thing you know is some kids seen it and uh, well, they all do it, don't they? Sunday morning, yeah, some kid will you know, go flying in for a tackle, and the player that he tackles will think that it's then therefore acceptable to roll around on the floor four times. Yeah, well, I thought that we got out of this with Italian football 20, 30, 40 years ago when 
yeah, when they were doing this kind of thing, but oh mate, it's just a it just boils my blood. And one thing about Millwall is we are actually true to ourselves. We stand, yeah, we stand up for what we believe in. Absolutely, uh, absolutely. Um, you know, sometimes to 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 some cost. You know, in truth, you know, it's there's 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 a price to pay for that kind of um, you know approach to life. I think. I, I think it's. I mean, there's always an element in professional sport. I think look across other other sports as well. There's always an element of um, if your livelihood depends on a result, then people push the rules and push uh, the unspoken rules, whatever they may or may not be in the respective sports, and they try and push them to the limits. But there is a line to be crossed, and I think trying to feign injury. I mean, also if you're going to do it, uh, if Scott Twine listens to the show, I doubt it. If you're going to do it, Scott, at least do it well. Don't don't come up with um, you know, it was, it was pantomime um, villain stuff, wasn't it? You know, um, it, it was it, it was poorly done. If that's if that if you're going to cheat, at least try and be uh, show some skill at it. Um, I don't know. Um, what I would love to see would have been a proper hard man like Herlock <laughs> or Harry Crook. <laughs> or Muscat. Or, uh, Can you imagine Muscat to give him something to roll around? About? <laughs> Uh, Alex Ray, uh, somebody like that, have actually have fucking stood on him and given him something to roll around about. To be quite honest, that would have been a thing. Oh cute. dear! Yeah. Let's move along to better better subjects. I just wanted to get. I've been thinking about that since the the one old is a magnificent result, but um, and they're a magnificent team, Burnley. But I, I must admit, it would leave a very sour taste in my mouth if I were a Burnley fan. What a strange bunch they are, Neil. I don't know if you've seen any of the um, the, uh, the 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 YouTube footage and the on the on Twitter. They're singing "I'm Forever Blowing Bubbles" at at, at Millwall. And why do teams do that? I, 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 it doesn't doesn't anger anyone at all, and you just make yourself like a complete prick. But the teams seem to think that that's that's going to really put one over on us. It's very strange behaviour. Um, also, not wearing, not yeah, wearing they, shirts. Tell me about that. Why, why do they not wear a shirt in, on a cold night? I don't get that either. One thing that is, isn't it? But no, <laughs> yeah, exactly as if I can remember Hearts turning up for Neil Harris's testimony, yeah. and they all walked in singing "I'm Forever Blowing Bubbles." <laughs> it, <gets> <laughs> it just makes you look like a retard, really, doesn't it? <laughs> Let's be honest. It, 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 you, yeah, you just look. Yeah, you just look. Yeah, you just look like you are. I know. Very, very stupid. That's what you are. Um, but anyway, there we are. They're not the only ones to have done it. The most recent ones to have done it, and it always makes me laugh when people do that. Yeah, and they film themselves for social media as if it's you know, some kind of kudos for posting this on TikTok or something. And you just think, oh, why? I don't know. I mean, some things are beyond me. I, I, I don't don't get that. There's, there's some things in the modern world, listeners, that have just start to... We had this conversation the other day. Out. Something, at a certain point, generationally, the world leaves you behind slightly. I think I might be at that point, Neil. I think I'll... Well, maybe past at some yeah. time ago. I don't know. <laughs> I'm just reading for a few of the lead stories here from London News. Um, Gary Rowett is now in the top 10 longest serving managers in the Football League, strangely. Um, it's three years since he joined us in um, October 2019. Um, that's after QPR appointed Gareth Ainsworth. So that's moved um, 
Uh, I suppose it's moved Ainsworth out of the Wickham Wanderers slot, so that's, that means Gary Rout moves into the top ten. It's quite an achievement. He's, he's had plenty each season; has not gone by without someone calling for his sacking at, at some point. Neil, so he's he's certainly um, surfed the Millwall wave, isn't he? Um, and still in, in in position, and now looking a contender, if not a you know done deal, contender for playoff football. That would be some achievement for him if he if he gets us into that slot. I think. Well, considering that I think I've done it, H. Is called a temporary truce, <laughs> probably. He'll be back on the. Yeah, well, I'm going to pay for the petrol to drive him up to West Brom <laughs> or wherever. Can you actually name the other 10? I tried this earlier on. Off the top of my head, so there'll be lower league managers, won't I? I, I can't. Yeah. And he's someone. Is there a. Guy at Stevenage who's managed there forever? No. No. No? There's one in the championship above him. Is there? Which is Mark Um, Robbins. Yeah. Mark Robbins, yes. Yes. He's been around a long time. Yeah. Yeah, we won't get them. There's uh, a demand from the top. You might get two of them. Uh, but you've got You're very generous to me saying that I can't think of any off the, off the top of my head. Right, yeah, yeah. But the top ten are Simon Weaver of Harrogate, appointed in May two thousand and nine. John Cole, yeah, family. right. Uh, September two thousand and fourteen. Right. The next two you surely get three and four. Jurgen Klopp, Liverpool, uh, oh, October two thousand. So. Yeah, I suppose so. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Pep Guardiola, who, who to my mind ruined English football by by encouraging goalkeepers to uh, play out from the back with disastrous consequences. <laughs> then you've got Mark Robbins, Coventry, March 2017. Right. Carl Robbins, Oxford United. Right. Uh, March 2018. Wow. Then you've got uh, Sky's favourite. Premiership man or Premier League manager, yep. the man they have love in with every other week, Thomas Frank, Brentford, October yes, 2018. Around a while now, that's true. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Brendan Rogers, which was one I didn't get. Leicester City, actually. Uh, right? Okay. Yep. Uh, February 2019. Then you've got Matt Gray at Sutton United. Uh, May 2019, so that was just after they got elected or, or they won promotion into the Football League. I think their previous manager was there about 100 years, but I think was a school teacher, so didn't want to go full-time. And then you've got uh, All Hail King Gary. King Gary, well done, Gary. That's quite an achievement. Uh, but nothing compared Fred Evan, Fred Evanis, Fred Everis of West Bromwich Albion, Neil. Who can top King Gary's ten uh, with tenth uh, position with three years by a whopping forty five years nine months and thirty days? He managed West Brom from August nineteen o two until the thirty first of May nineteen forty eight. Fred Everest, he's the longest managerial reign on Wikipedia. Uh, so that's quite a reign, isn't it? Forty five years. Bob Hunter would be not far short of it. I mean, you know, in Millwall terms, he was quite a what in place quite a long time. Yeah, but back in. The old era. But I think a lot of Bob Hunter's was spent as uh, coach. 
a trainer, wasn't he? He was yeah. a trainer. He was a trainer. So I think his football, I, I, I think his management career, yeah, no, he probably would be our longest serving manager. Well, we will actually look into this and we will do a, yeah, we might we have will. a history show as people have been requesting them. Uh, but, uh, yeah, long gone are the days of five or ten years ago when you couldn't break into the top four or five because you had Arsene Wenger there. You had, obviously, yeah. you had, uh, for many years, you had Dario Grady, who was there. <laughs> Best not talk about him anymore. <laughs> you lose at crew for a long time. Then you had somebody that uh, managed uh, in a club and dropped out the league and then they'd come back in again and so to I think the role of manager the role the actual role of the job has changed I mean you know I'm joking here with Fred Everest there's loads it seemed to be the fashion it's the modern world obviously changes management in you know very very swiftly but you look at all these there's loads of names here Fred Everest is the lead one uh, 45 years there's four guys here with 40 years 35 years and so on so I think the role of manager back then was less um it was football related, but you were kind of managing as well the club overall. And I don't think it was just the football side of it. You were well, the manager. It was role, wasn't it? You actually, yeah. you, you actually ran the whole of the football club yeah, in many respects, like Ferguson yeah. did with Manchester United. But on steroids, you actually ran the club. And you, yeah. you, you reported directly to the board of directors but even in many cases, the board of directors were scared of the manager. The real authoritarian figures, weren't they? The likes of Herbert Chapman and that. The rule of a rod of iron, that's right. I mean, I suppose the, the nearest we've had to that, I'm just looking at the post-1946 list here, listeners. We've gone off onto a tangent here, but I'm going to stick with it because I like this tangent. You've got the likes of Sir Alex Ferguson, managed for 26 years at Manchester United from 1986 till 2013. It's probably the closest to that kind of, um, I don't want to say a tyrannical figure, but certainly an overpowering personality manager. Arsene Wenger will be something close to it. Um, but that that kind of figure seems to have gone from the game, Neil. It's much more transient now, isn't it, management? Yeah, it's he, probably not changed for the better. Uh, but there's so much involved now. Some managers... You have a lot of managers, especially in the Premier League, they don't even do the recruitment. The recruitment's done for them. No, done for them. That's right. Yeah, yeah. more like head coaches, aren't they? You're a bit like American football, I guess, where I don't think the coach yeah. has an awful lot of say in the players that are signed. He usually is given a say, but there's a recruitment team, isn't there? And uh, I think yeah, you just produce the results on the pitch with the players that you're given, pretty yeah, much. Give some managers in the league. I don't know how much say Pep Guardiola has. He usually just probably just gives a list of players that he wants them to sign and work your way through that, lads. Whereas I think Rowett is probably a lot more hands on. I would say he he says to Alex Aldridge, "I want this player. Go out and sign him. Go and find me one." Yeah. yeah. And um, and then yeah, maybe in the likes of Fleming, uh, Alex will go back and say, "Look, I found this player. I think it'd be really good for you." Or an agent's put him up, and uh, yeah, it'd be quite interesting to see how you have to get that kind of thing from the club. How the Fleming and Vogel slammer 
uh, transfers actually came about because it's not something... There's an idea for Wall Talk. There's an idea for Wall, Wall Talk podcast, a little bit of an in-depth show on, on how scouting in the and how signings take place in, in the modern game, whether they can reveal... I don't know. It has, it must, all clubs must follow the same pattern. So, um, but anyway, it's just, it's, it'd be an interesting show to find out a little bit more about. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Neil, we've had a big uh, any, any any article that is headlined an extensive update from Mill CEO is really going to be uh, luring you in to read it, but it's and it's quite a dense piece on the official club website. But it's um, it's a long piece from Steve Cavanaugh. Um, it's quite an interesting ask if you read for it. it's quite a lot to get through listeners we're going to try and have a go at wading through it neil aren't we um various aspects to it mostly it relates to the government white paper the the um the uh update of football isn't it the the tracy crouch report that was that was published this week by the government yeah well, this confuses me this white paper because one minute they're bringing it out the next minute they're not bringing it out then all of a sudden is it going to be watered down no it's not going to be watered down yes it is going to be watered down and then all of a sudden yeah they're bringing it out and it's going to be enshrined into law I think a lot of it is pie in the sky thinking, and uh, it remains to be seen. I suppose the main the main part about it is, I mean, it, it enshrines the the major parts of the Tracy Crouch report into football. Um, I suppose if you're going to pick out the main bones of that, it's it's basically to impose um, a football regulator um, paid for by the Premier League, which is a laugh because they, they they've campaigned actively not to have a regulation in their industry but now they're going to have to pay for a uh, regulator um david sullivan of uh the the, the uh, west ham the, uh, the the porno magnate uh, speaking vehemently against it on on sky tv yesterday and i always think if david sullivan's against something there's a pretty good marker that you want to be in favor of it um but yeah they're sort of going to have a regulator they're going to have some form of um wage related discipline imposed on 
um, the amounts you can spend on wages related to your um, your income, um, enforceable by the football regulator. Um, it seems to be the major elements of the Tracy Crouch report, which I think both parties have signed up to, and I think Labour and Conservative have put their names to it. So, um, yeah, I know I know the kind. Of, I, go on, sorry. Yeah, they see it as a vote winner. It's one of those trendy yeah. things that that people are that they think that they can be a little bit closer to what to the heart of people if they if they bring something like this in. Actually, there's something that I want to talk about and uh it's part of steve kavanagh's thing he says uh yeah. uh they uh, uh football of course unlike any other business in that clubs do not have customers they have supporters who loyalty and emotional connection should never be taken for granted nor exploited here at millwall that mindset remains at the heart of our decision making in all areas and I just want to say, Steve, if you think that, can you please stop getting stewards to treat your fans like shit? They're... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but yeah, well, at Millwall... Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, 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 I read the same things that you read, you know. Um, yeah, well, the stewards yeah. have the same mindset as the WAF and SS. I'm not... <laughs> Yeah, but they do. Yeah, they've got about as much compassion as the Gestapo in a lot of every game. You read something that's gone on with stewards. Uh, yeah, there was something last week about uh, somebody had sat in the wrong seat and had got turfed out. Right, at the sellout game, I presume. I mean, I, well, yeah, um, yeah. Well, okay, they're pretty stupid to sit in the wrong seat. Let's be honest. Yeah, and I sit in the wrong seat, Neil. I, I, I mean, we've all got used to the den being three quarters full at best. You know, um, sellout games make difficulties because obviously some people turn up wanting to sit in their seat that they've paid for, um, and it, it clashes with what you might call. Um, Shall we call it Millwall culture? I, I don't know if that's the right term, but I think people will know what I, I mean by that, which is sit where you like, largely. Now, I, I, I don't know how probably the best way to solve that is not to give seat numbers on tickets and let's, let let people can sit where they want. And I don't know what the problem is with that, whether there is a problem. Maybe that is a security issue that you can't then be tracked down if you should shout something that you shouldn't shout out I, I, or do something you shouldn't do. I suppose that would be it. But it's it does create tension. I've got to say, uh, and it's unnecessary tension. When I, I had a season the ticket in the um, East Upper, there was a group of however many people. There was a probably a group of about hundred and fifty people up there, and as long as you were sat within two or three seats, you might just plonk yourself down somewhere, and then people would sit around you, and people would yeah. Yeah, sit in groups, or somebody would turn up. I hadn't turned up for a while, and so you started talking to them before you before the game started, and they would stay where they were, and people would go in and around them. I think you're right. In many respects, it's the day trippers that turn up, and I you know my seat. Mm. I want to sit in it. Hey, well, I, I, mm. I get that. But if there are three seats next to that, just sit in them. 
it just it... well, I, I think it's a problem because well, I mean, I sit in block one, listeners, and normally on in, on any regular fixture for most of uh, our, our time in the in, in recent years, that's empty, largely empty. You can sit where you like, Neil. No one's, you know, it, it doesn't matter. Last few games, uh, Sunderland, obviously, and then uh, Sheffield United. I wasn't at the Burnley game. I'd imagine it's probably a bit looser up there for the Burnley game. But the last couple of games I've been to, it's been pretty pretty packed up there. And you're starting to have people sat near you. you know. So it's, it's, it's going to be a, a thing. If we're going to achieve success, we're going to have to get better at managing full houses because the den is full with essentially 15,000 Millwall fans in it and whatever the away support bring. Um, so we're going to have to get round this because I do think you're right. I do think it creates unnecessary friction. Um, stewarding is is always a difficult job, and they're not highly paid. But I do think it attracts a certain type of a bit like pulling a policeman, as we've seen in recent months. It attracts a certain type of person, doesn't it? One that likes to wield their badge and their bit of power. And I, I do think that that is unfortunate because you've come to the wrong place if you think that that's going to impress anyone at the den. So I, I, I don't I, I don't have an easy solution to it, but I, I do remember a few years ago, the Coldblow Lane end was was open open seating. I don't think you had that. Really, didn't there. you? If you wanted to sit in a block, in a block. Yeah. But I, yeah, but I did read something quite amusing on Hoff about a steward. There was a young black lad who'd obviously become a mm. steward for the day. And, Mm. And we scored and he started to celebrate. He just thought it was great that he was getting all of this free football. <laughs> yeah. You got to watch a game of football for nothing. So not all stewards are like No, I was just gonna make the very same point because um, you know, some stewards are okay, you know, they they they, they don't wanna cause um ructions and they're there to have a good good day and get paid for, I suppose, from their point of view. Um, it's, it varies with individual to individual. It doesn't help when you get, um, uh, I, I think it's some some um, personalities look to create trouble. Yeah, um, but anyway, that, we, I think we've, we've made our point. Um, yeah, um, I, I think it's an interesting white paper. We, we'll see, we'll see. I mean, both, so, uh, both parties, for, for the, the vote-winning reasons that you've touched on, seem to be in favour. I think it will, will come into law. The fact that Football establishment don't seem to like the idea of a regulator means to me. It sounds like it's a good thing. Um, what powers it have, don't know. We'll, we'll see. Um, and any, anything that balances out the financial disparity between being a Premier League club and being a championship and League One, League Two club, anything that brings a bit of balance to the game that makes it, um, I hate the word sustainable, but I've, it's the only one I've got, listeners, I think is a good thing. So um, we'll, we'll see. Anyway, um, the the extensive up something I think from from Steve Kavanagh's uh give a, a couple of things from Steve Kavanagh's uh newsletter before you move us on and that's that uh we're gonna have a five percent increase in ticket prices really people are struggling to keep the electricity and the gas on and you want us to pay five percent more for football it's it's not brilliant. But also something that has happened down here in Plymouth, uh, QR codes for digital entry. Mm. We're finally joining uh, 2023-2024, <laughs> uh, albeit a little bit late. But 
long gone are the paper tickets. I don't know how you feel about this, Nick. I'm pretty old school, but I do like digital entry. It means that you don't lose your ticket. It's on your phone. And you go into your digital wallet on your phone, and there it is. Uh, It just makes life so much easier. No, I agree. I mean, and, and do you know what? I, I've been thinking this. I've been to, as listeners might know, we do, we do a few non-league games. And I went to, was it Welling United? I went to Welling United. It might have been. Um, with, uh, went down, met up with uh, Michael Avery and had a few beers down at Welling, got the bus over there. Um, but I was really struck, Neil, by the fact that you could pay online beforehand and they sent you a, a barcode um, at Welling, Welling United, National League South level. And they buzzed me a barcode, and I stood at the um, the, uh, the turnstile, and the uh, girl there uh, scanned it, and then I went. You know, I thought this is dead easy. You know, this is like so. This is so easy. It made me think. Well, why can't Millwall be doing this? You know, why why are we still? I think there is um, cost behind it. I think it costs a lot of money there is, yeah. at our level. And let's be honest, Millwall and technology they don't go hand in hand, do they? <laughs> So I, so I would implore the club to have at least three home pre-season friendlies next year. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna borrow Harry's joke, and if you're listening, H, I'm gonna nick it entirely off of you. Uh, he made a good crack about if we do get promoted to the Premier League opening day fixture with digital um, t- uh, barcode tickets versus Manchester City with the queues going down Zampa Road <laughs> into Ilderton Road, <laughs> <laughs> curving down into Bermondsey. Yeah, well, we might kick off by the fourth game of the season. <laughs> The territorial support group trying to keep people at bay. <laughs> no, I think I think it's a great idea. I mean, it's it's used so widely now that you have on your on your smartphone. Presuming you've got a smartphone, um, not everyone does out there. But anyway, presuming you've got a smartphone, you get a barcode on that, and you just show that and scan it, and then you go, and it is easy, and it's done quite widely now. Um, the only thing I would say is you've got to think about some of our older fans and some of our younger fans, actually, who are not um, internet savvy, Neil. I mean, it, we, you and the likes of you and I, you know, we're both of a certain age, but we, we move in this kind of world reasonably naturally, I think, whereas not everyone does. I think you have to be a little bit conscious that... Yeah, but it has to be a balance. Um, yeah, but it has to be a balance. Yeah. There has to be, yeah. But I think that if... Because otherwise you exclude people, you know. Then they ought to have the physical ticket, to be honest. It's fair play. Not everybody has got a smartphone. People open up on the day and think, yeah, okay, yeah, well, I wouldn't mind going to watch Millwall this afternoon. Maybe they're not Millwall fans, so they might not have the... The app. I think Millwall needs to be open-minded. They can't say right. Ev- ev- everything is now digital because it just ain't going to work. So I think they need to use a lot no. of common sense. But for those people that want digital tickets, I think it's a fantastic, fantastic. Idea. And I think it's fantastic. Well done, well done for the club for moving to it. I mean, yeah, and just going back to my Welling United trip, I've done other other grounds too, where at that non-league level, that um, you know they, they've got the same idea. You can pretty much up to a certain point on the day, buy a ticket, it'll buzz straight back at you. There's your barcode and you're walking in. You're getting down that kind of pay-on-the-day style yeah. um, approach. 
and maybe it's not always possible, but I think it gives it, it, it's much much better. So um, no fair play. I, I I saw that and I like that story. Um, the other thing I wanted to pick up on, obviously, um, the new training ground. This is, there's a couple of bits in there. The Jimmy's Day. We, we we mentioned that last week. That's always a wonderful day. Uh, the Memorial Stones issue seems to be coming to some form of conclusion. Um, how that's going to pan out in the end, I don't know. But um, I think the club have finally given up on trying to get uh, the company they were using to fit these stones. They may have to go to an alternative contractor. We'll f- more on that story when it comes out, but that's that's still unfolding. The other thing is the, the new training ground seems to be going full steam ahead now, Neil. That's... Um, Signed, they've signed a, a Section 106 agreement, which is a legal agreement that uh, sets in stone the club's long-term commitment to full, fulfilling their uh, undertakings around Seven Oaks. I think that's going to be a big step forward. If we can get into the Premier League, we're going to need the facilities that come with that. And I think that's a big step forward for the club long-term. Definitely. It's something that we've been uh, in favour of ever, ever since it was announced. Uh, it's something the club desperately needs. We need to get away from Claremont Road. <laughs> we do. And Yeblitz in who do and uh, its injury record. And uh, it's just moving the club in the right direction as QR codes are, as, as, as the match day village or whatever they call it is doing. Fans, yeah. Yeah, the fans, yeah. Owns, uh, the entertainment. It's all moving Millwall. Out of being Millwall, really, isn't it? And uh, into the yeah, into the twenty first century or whatever century we're in now. It, if we do get promoted, listeners, we're going to have to gear. I mean, it's, it's it's a different level in the Premier League. Everyone knows it. Listening to this show, some of it might be a bit of a, a, a wrench to leave the past behind, but I think some parts of the past can stay. <laughs> <laughs> Probably best left there. Um, I, I mean, just there's a, a thing here about the club um, saying thank you for the attendances. I mean, the the atmospheres. I wasn't at the burning. I mean, I was only watching on TV, but the atmosphere came over well. Um, it's really interesting to see. Um, maybe it's dawned on Gary Rowett the the value of um, the den when it's in full cry. How other other clubs don't like it, and how it, it, it spurs on our players to you know more effort than maybe. They would otherwise achieve, and I think that that's that's. It's just interesting to see that maybe the club can see now that the, the den being the weapon that it really is. Um, there's a, a paragraph here that I've uh, I missed out on my my read through here. Um, so yeah, so that was I think as I say, is extensive as an update. Oh, a final piece about John Motson passing away. Um, BBC Match of the Day, um, long term commentator. Yeah. It- I found you normally when somebody dies, I, I don't really think about it. But John Motson was something different yesterday. To mm. up to the news that John Motson had died, it it just a it's just a big part of my childhood growing up and those halcyon days when the only thing you had to worry about was football and uh, playing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think that's that's, that's right. Yeah, and it's. Yeah. Every time you heard a commentary, he he wasn't my favourite commentator. Brian Moore was my favourite commentator. I, I love watching the big match on YouTube. Yeah. The old big matches. Yeah. Brian Moore, I was reading his autobiography the other week. He, he just, uh, but Motson was, 
he was just so iconic, wasn't he? And I think the sun. I, I think it's yeah. The sun did a brilliant front page this morning with a sheepskin coat and goat underneath it. Yeah, it's iconic, like and the flat cap and the, and the sheepskin. Was, I think it. I mean, the the era of the big commentators as part. Of, I suppose there are so many games shown now, Neil. That modern day com- commentary doesn't seem quite as um, carry quite it's the weight that it is. trying to impart their views upon you whereas the like yeah. Motson uh, Brian Moore David Coleman was another one wasn't he and, uh, and and Barry Davis Brian Moore you've said but even on ITV I mean I'm thinking like Hugh Johns and, and um, oh god there's a few John they, they were just like major and yeah, on, major names yeah, on radio you had Brian Butler and Peter Jones mm. uh, they they commentated they set a scene for you and uh, they they didn't impart their views and their interpretation as to what was going on. They commentated on what was going on and left it at that. It's just, but, but for him to die, you know, if, if him to die yesterday, it was just a great shock. And you forget that he was 77. And what is actually, yeah. is that he actually grew up in Lewisham, which I did. Did he? I didn't know that. And uh, yeah, his father was a preacher. A clergyman, right? Uh, I didn't know that. I think he used to walk to the den. I read somewhere, but just one of the all-time great commentators of English football. I didn't know that. Yeah, no. Well, rest in peace, John Motts. As you say, one of the iconic voices of football of uh, uh, my youth, your youth, and plenty of other people's youths. And these people are passing, and it. it I suppose it brings your own uh, life into perspective when you hear these 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 bits of news. Neil, we've reached the end of our agenda. Um, looking forward to some big fixtures ahead. Stoke tomorrow, Luton away midweek, and then Norwich back at the Den next Saturday. Another, we say it every week now, mate, don't we? It's another big week ahead. Yeah, and the big question is, uh, do you drop Charlie Cresswell tomorrow if Sean Hutchinson is fit? No, oh, to be Gary Rowan with that decision, I think it's pretty harsh myself i don't know what you think and uh hutchinson is i don't think it'll... yeah i can't see him, i can't see him dro- dropping him but I, I think that um he'll be on the bench at least uh, at least for tomorrow um we can't it'd be harsh to drop him wouldn't it? again can we we can't afford for sean hutchinson to come in and break down so no uh, no i think he'll be on the bench at the most tomorrow if he's fit enough to to go um and it would be hard on Cresswell. I think it's done very, very well for us. Been a few players have done very well lately, but I think Cresswell has been one of the the rocks of a defence that has, as we've said already at the start of the show, got four points from the best two sides in the league this week. So I hope he starts there at the bet three six five the next week in points terms. We've got nine available. We've got three nine available. Yeah, we've got two. Yeah, no, that's not make any bones about it. Actually, thinking about it, we've got three very tough games in different ways. Stoke away is going to be difficult. Norwich at home is always a difficult game. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, then we've got to go to that toilet that is Luton in between. <laughs> I think I think avoid defeat is number one, um, and uh, yeah, we we need at least one win, two wins preferably out of those three, and maybe a point. From one of the others, I don't know. Um, big week, as we keep saying. I think five points. I think no, we're going for five points. 
and then the Rabbit Express will continue to rolls on to uh, yeah. to thunder towards the Premier League and everything that that entail. <laughs> yeah, we, we <laughs> like to Pep Guardiola thinks that those Muppets down at Palace generate <laughs> you know, a generator, a tremendous <laughs> atmosphere. Pep, my son, you wait till he gets to the dinner. Yeah. <laughs> One, 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 one draw at a time, Neil. Huge thank you to Neil for coming on his on the show on his Friday morning. Um, thank you for your time, mate. Always appreciated. Yeah, no, fantastic, mate. It's always great to to actually talk absolute nonsense for <laughs> for the best part of it. Nearly an hour, yeah. I must. Well, this is one of the patterns of the show, listeners. I, I get to about ten minutes in, I thought, I've got nothing else I can talk about, and then somehow we find a subject, and that's what's happened today so um huge thank you to you two for listening um from neil and myself it's uh arriva dirty mill we'll be back on the after the after the stoke game until then it's uh bye for now ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs> 